chapter 19, folks, of Revelation. Long awaited. We have been waiting for this chapter. Why? Because since chapter 6, when chronologically what we've learned in the book of Revelation, chapter 6 through a good portion of chapter 19 deals with that time called the tribulation. And the time of the tribulation, as we started in chapter 6 and 7 and 8 and 9 and so on and so forth, all through the chapters until today, what have we learned? We have learned about chaos. It's been very bloody and brutal. 100-pound hailstones coming down on, on people. Death in the numbers that our minds really can't fathom. Judgment. Not just on people, even the planet is being torn apart. Why? Those have been tough chapters, and if you've been following along with us, either online or here in person, uh, in this Revelation series uh, that we've been doing on Thursday nights, you've endured, and uh, my hat's off to you. Some of those chapters are pretty brutal. We leave here going, wow, Riv, thanks for that. That was uh, tough to hear. And in our economy, and in our limited understanding of things of the Lord, we do the best we can. We see, the Bible tells us, we see through a glass darkly, meaning we understand to a certain point, but we don't fully grasp every single detail fully. We do the best we can through God's word, and he allows us to understand to a point in this life. Well, why doesn't he just give us the whole picture right now? Because of faith. Faith. If we just had the whole picture right now, why would we need the Lord? Why would we need God? He wants to give us a little bit, a little bit here, a little bit there, and he gives us some understanding so that we understand to a point. But then also, too, there's this thing called faith that the Lord knows we need to exercise in this life. What do you mean exercise? It's a constant thing. When you exercise, you do it. It's like a campaign. And when you are fully into either weight training, running, cardio, exercise, you really have this sense that you're really never going to be there, meaning I'm never going to be in the same athletic uh, pinnacle as an NFL football player. I'm not going to do that, but I'm always striving there. And that's the idea for faith. We're not going to fully, fully grasp and understand in this life, but one day, guess what? We will. We will understand the things of the Lord. When we are with him and we're finally in heaven with him and see him and, and see all the goings on in heaven, we're going to be like, wow, I get it. And these are things that even the angels, the Bible tells us, even the angels marvel at what? At you and I. Why? Because day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, what are we doing? It's sort of like what we talked about Thursday night. We are sowing bountifully into the things of the Spirit. Why? Because if we do that, we'll reap bountifully the things of the Spirit. Remember, we learned that. Conversely, if we sow bountifully to the flesh, we will also reap bountifully of the flesh. So what we learned Thursday night is, what camp are you in? 
What camp am I in? Am I feeding the flesh and reaping bountifully? Or am I feeding the spirit and reaping bountifully? These are things that we learned, and our desire is that we, re we sow into the spirit, the spiritual things of God, his word, prayer, fellowship with one another, building each other up, of being of one accord. That's our desire. And we're doing that as faithfully as we can, feeding the flesh very little, even though we are fallen and we do sin still. But that, no, that's not the idea. The idea is to sow to the spirit, and we're doing that. And you know the angels marvel? You know why? Because we don't see the whole picture like they do. They don't get it. They're like, how? And do you know why? It's because of the righteousness of God only. It's his righteousness, not yours and not mine. The Bible says none are righteous, no, not one. And we all fit that category. In fact, Isaiah would even say that our righteousness, what little bit we were, would be able to kind of scrape up would be compared to dirty washcloths. You ever find those on the back of the garage floor? Somehow they got through the years, it ended up back there and it's all kind of nasty and moldy and gross. And it's a, it's a rag you wouldn't even wash any of your things with. It's so gnarly. And you're like, yeah. In fact, you don't even want to touch it. You grab a broom, just kind of get that out of here, you know. And you call your son, hey, come get this. I don't want to touch it. It's my opinion that even that rag is cleaner than us, spiritually. We're sinful. Our heart is so sinful, who can know it, the Bible tells us. But it's because of the grace of God and his righteousness that we are clothed, and only because of him, that we actually get to experience the things of him. But it's limited, and we'll talk about that just a little bit today. So you're already there. I've kind of rambled. Let's get to chapter 19. Again, folks, if you haven't been with us and you need a, just a really quick synopsis refresher, John, the author of this book, is writing to a congregation, to his congregation. We, we learned earlier in the book there's seven churches that um, are that he is sort of the head pastor over. And they had pastors at the church, but there were things that he wanted to share with this church. Because remember, at this time, while he penned this book, the new church was new, and it was under tremendous persecution. These are people that were dragged out of their homes, killed before their family's eyes, sawn in half lengthwise, dipped in hot wax and lit on fire. Tremendous persecution that this early church was going through. And you think, wow, you thought you had it bad. And the things that you're dealing with, praise the Lord, we're not experiencing persecution to that point. But we do have our stuff, do we not? We do have the things that we are going through and experiencing. And John is writing to this church and he's saying, listen, here is what the Lord has shown me. And great things are coming. Great things are coming for you. Hang in there. Be steadfast in the things of the Lord. And so you gotta, when we read Revelation, we have to kind of put ourselves in that mindset of the recipients of this letter. And they would have received this with great joy because they know of the good things that were coming their way. 
If you've been with us through this series and going through this book, you've been blessed. How do I know that? Because chapter 1, verse 3 tells us that we will be blessed. Blessed is he who hears and reads the words of this prophecy, and we've done that. It's the only book that promises a blessing. Isn't that cool? Right out of the gate. And so we've been blessed as we've been going through this book, and sometimes we've been, whew, man, Lord, that's, that's brutal. I mean, do you really have to send 100-pound hailstones? You know, I mean, what is going on? What we've learned is that God's judgments are perfect. They were 100% complete righteous. And even though they may seem in our finite minds very, very brutal and kind of over the mark, nope, they're exactly perfect. And angels have proclaimed this throughout this book, and we'll even see that today. Chapter 19, verse 1. After these things, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments, because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication, and he has avenged on her the blood of his saints shed, or servants, excuse me, shed by her. Back at the first part of the verse of one, after these things, after what things? John opened up last chapter the same way. It's speaking there of the harlot. And you may be wondering, wow, unless you've been with us and following closely, what are we talking about that in church for? Well, that name has been given to an ideology, a figurative ideology of what we've been studying, Babylon. There were two elements to Babylon. First would be in chapter 17, the false religious Babylon that will be set up and will come along the Antichrist in that day. And he will use that false religious system, that Babylon, uh, and the spirit thereof to bring in his reign of power and to kind of further his agenda. But what we're told about at the end of chapter 17 is that after he gets what he wants, he kind of casts her aside. And so do the other 10 nations or the 10 kings that rise up with the Antichrist for a very short period of time. They will cast her off as well. They'll throw her to the side, use her, abuse her, and toss her out like the trash. In fact, it says they will even burn her. Wow. Brutal. Then in chapter 18 we read where the second element of Babylon is exposed. And what's that? That is the economic slash political element of Babylon. So these are spiritual ideas, and this Babylon idea or ideology has been personified as a harlot or a prostitute. Graphic strong language. But that is exactly how God sees it when his people go after false idols and false gods and worshiping them thereof. And we've seen that all through the Old Testament prophets uh, as well, if you've read through those. So chapter 18, the Babylon that we're talking about is the political slash uh, economic uh, version of the power that will be 
when the Antichrist is in power. And guess what? That is actually going to fall as well. But then we're told the kings or rulers of the world at that time will mourn Babylon's destruction. Well, wait a minute. I thought you said in chapter 17, they were the ones who cast her away because they hated her. Remember, they're throwing away the religious part. Now, we don't need this religion stuff anymore. We got the power we want. And we're headed in the direction of our agenda that we want now. Now, we love the prosperity that the economic and political Babylon brings us. All through chapter 18, we learn about the luxuries and the trade and the money that is being made. They hate the religion, but they love the money and they love the treasures and the luxuries, right? But also, what we learned Thursday night was that there's actually a physical, literal city of Babylon. Because if you read the language in chapter 18, you realize we got to be talking about an actual place here. And true, Babylon did exist centuries ago, and it had fallen to Alexander the Great and was desolate for so many years. But there is a movement right now that I won't go into for time purposes, that there is a movement right now to rebuild Babylon. And guess what? You're all helping pay for it. Did you know that? During as recent as the Obama administration, yeah, $700 million went over there to help this endeavor. And when it says that the nations of the world will answer to Babylon, we go, nope, not me. No, nope, I'm not going to do that. Really? Yeah, you did. Your tax dollar went there. You didn't even know it. You didn't vote on it. But that shows you right now that the prophecies in God's word that are thousands of years old are coming to fruition before our very eyes, folks. This stuff is all happening. The article that I read to the church the other night was right out of the Jerusalem Post, and it was just a year old. How much more, pro how much more uh, advanced have they gotten even since that moment? So that is what we're talking about here when we're talking about the harlot. And what is it saying there? It says, true and righteous are your judgments. Remember, that's what we said. Oh, it's so bloody. I kind of skipped 6 through 19 because it's all... No, we need to see that, we need to read it, and we need to understand it for a couple of reasons. Why? Number one, we won't be here for it. We will not be here for that destruction and all of that turmoil. Why? Because the Lord Jesus, it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 15 through 18, you can look that up yourself and read it, but Jesus is going to come back for his bride his bride is you and me. If you're a Christian here today, and I don't mean the broad title that the world labels you, uh, well, you're not Mormon or Catholic or JW, so, oh, you go to church, you must be a Christian. That's not what I'm talking about, that generic label. I'm talking about have, if you have accepted Christ as your personal Savior, and you understand and recognize the fact that you're a sinner, and you need salvation. And you understand the fact that Jesus is the Savior because of the work he did on the cross. God his Father sent his only Son to that cross in order that we would come to know him in a way and that he would provide salvation for us, not through our righteousness, but through his and his grace. If you believe that in your heart right now, you're saved. You're a Christian, and you will escape the tribulation, that time 
when God pours out his wrath on a Christ-rejecting world. Remember, we've talked about the righteous wheels of God. Oh, they turn very, very slowly. They turn very slowly. In fact, sometimes they turn for centuries. Sometimes in our lives, it's been years, decades, and we go, <laughs> and civilization goes, ah, judgment. <laughs> We've been doing this for a couple hundred years. Or maybe in our own lives, we go, I've kind of gotten away with this for five years, a decade. The wheels turn slow, but they do turn. And when God says it's time, it is time. And trust me when I tell you, judgment comes very quickly. And we saw that last chapter when Babylon, within a day, was destroyed. And the men of the earth and the rulers go, no! Oh, no! Well, look, what! who can buy or sell or trade? All of our money, we're losing it all. They mourn, but guess what? In heaven, they rejoice. Why? Righteous are his judgments because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication. And he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. This idea of Babylon coming together. Remember, that's where the Tower of Babel was built. Oh, we'll come together. We'll unify. We'll unite. And it'll be us. And we will make our way. That spirit is still alive. It's still alive today, politically. Do you know the two most powerful forces on earth are religion and governments? Did you know that? They are. Think about it. And they're the two elements in earth, on earth that are the most oppressive. And that's what we've seen. Oh, if you don't measure up, you got to do all this stuff to measure up. You got to do this. You got to go do that. And all these rules, regulations, and all the blah, blah, blah. And people get caught up in that. And then guess what? They feel enslaved. They, because they realize, how could I ever measure up? Here's a newsflash. You can't. And in that, guess what? There's freedom, is it not? The second you and I realize, I can't measure up, I can't do it. Remember the law was to bring us? It was the schoolmaster. And we look at the law and we go, I broke all of those. <laughs> and then Jesus comes and says, you know what? I have a new covenant. I have a new plan. Because I know you're weak. You're sinful. Here's something I'm going to do for you. I'm going to die on that cross. And all of the judgment and all the sin and the world, everything's going to be on me. Remember where it talks about him sweating droplets of blood? That wasn't because he knew about the pain that he was going to have to endure the cross. What it was was, oh my goodness, I'm going to be separated from my father. And it scared him so bad that that's what level of stress he was under. Could you imagine? No. I've never sweat blood. I don't think anyone in here has either. You've never been that stressed out. It stressed out our Lord. But why? Because he did it for us because he saw a treasure in this world. And that treasure is you. And it's me. And he loved you so much. He gave his life for you. And we just celebrated his resurrection a couple weeks ago. It was glorious. It's a holy, holy day. This day is holy as well. But it means something to us. The news is this. If you're a Christian here today, you will escape the tribulation. 6 through 19. 
There are people that won't. There are people that will be left behind. There are people that will suffer the repercussions of what decisions they make today or tomorrow, if the Lord grants us that. And then when we are taken up, that mass disappearance of Christianities, of Christians, of people who have accepted Christ, they'll look around and go, whoa. Remember all that witnessing and all that sharing of the Bible and sharing of the Lord you guys have done? That's going to come back to them, and they're going to remember, and they're going to go, whoa. I think, yes, give me a Bible. And they will become saved during that time. God's grace is that awesome that even into the tribulation times, people will come to know the Lord. In fact, it will be one of the greatest revivals mankind has ever seen. But Babylon will make them pay for that because there's going to be systems in place, religious, political systems in place, that if you refuse it, that's going to be looked at as treason. And they won't just throw you in jail, these Christians, these tribulation saints. They will kill them. And that's what it's talking about here. Avenge the blood of the servants shed by her. That is literal, not figurative. Verse 3. Again, they said, hallelujah, her smoke rises up forever and ever. While mankind is down here saying, no, the destruction of Babylon. People in heaven are saying, yes, to the destruction. Praise the Lord, your, your judgments are righteous. May her smoke rise forever and ever. Verse 4, And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who sat, who sat on the throne, saying, Amen and Alleluia. It's been very cool because I have watched as we've gone through our studies of Revelation, we have sort of caught up to our flyers and we caught up today. Isn't that cool? I saw that. Christy knows because she types those things out. But if you've been with us, we've been going through the book of Revelation on Thursday nights. And of course, we start with chapter one, two. But we've been reading in our flyers, you know, we're reading like 15 chapters ahead. Well, we made pretty good progress. And today, it just so happens that we caught up. Today's flyer is our teaching. And that wasn't planned, except by God. And I like what John did. He says, we're going to bring emphasis to those words that have exclamation points behind them. That wasn't planned either, but they're important. Why? What does it say there? Chapter 4, amen. Hallelujah. Amen, meaning so be it, or let it be so. How come when we pray, we say amen? What's that mean? Well, it's everything we said in our prayer, Lord, let it be so. So be it. Hallelujah, what does that mean? It just means praise the Lord, praise God. Let it be so, praise God, amen, hallelujah. These things will take place. Verse five, then a voice came from the throne. I want you to watch this. This is cool. Then a voice came from the throne saying, praise our God, all you his servants and those who fear him, both small and great continues in six, and I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty thunderings, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God 
omnipotent reigns. I like this because we're talking about the throne here. John says, I heard a voice coming from the throne. Praise our God, all you his servants and those who fear him, both small and great. But it's this next verse that I really like. Why? Look at this. A great multitude. We're still talking about the throne here. This is what John's writing. A great multitude as the sound of many waters, as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia. So a multitude from the throne. I get the voice, but a multitude? Who could these people be? Turn back with me. We're going to stay in the same book. And we're going to go back to chapter 3. Actually, forgive me. We're going to go back. Yes, chapter 3. I was right. Get a little twisted up and excited. By the way, I had three cups of coffee this morning. So I am psyched out of my mind. Prepare for the ride. Chapter 3, verse 20. These are red letters, so what does that mean? Jesus is speaking to us. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, the door of your heart, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. Now watch this. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. What? Wait, we get to sit with him on his throne? As I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Something's going on here. He says, listen, those who overcome. Overcome what? Name it. Turn in any direction in earth, in the planet today, in life, in our culture, and you're enduring all of these things. And that's just from an outside scale. What are the things that's going on in your life right now that you're enduring? Depression, hardships, relationships being broken up, perhaps. I don't know what you're enduring, but you are. Because Jesus said in this life we are going to have what? Trials and tribulations, that's been promised to us. Because he knows that if things are going great, oh, we're surfing through life and we're good. And oh, oh yeah, God thing too. We gotta go there once in a while. We kind of tend in our flesh to forget about the things of the Lord. And so the Lord reminds us like, hey, there's gonna be troubles and trials. And for me, it's like, praise the Lord. We're to rejoice in those times. We're to find joy in them. Why? Because that's the time we come to the Lord and we fall on our knees. We see our weakness and we, look, we go, Lord, I don't know what in the world's going to happen. I don't know how, what the outcome is. But all I know is that you're in control. Please help. And all those things that we're enduring in our life, all of the things that we're all enduring together in culture today, he says, those who overcome these things, I will grant for you to sit on my throne. Just like all the things I had to endure. And we know what he endured, do we not? And it was granted to him. So when the throne speaks out, back in our text, turn back to Revelation 19, the, the throne speaks out a voice, but then after that, a great multitude, that's you and me. Isn't that cool? You and I have been granted 
to sit on the throne with Jesus, just as he was granted to sit on the throne with his father. You and me, that's our voice making those thunderings. You ever go to a ball game or a big stadium and you're in the parking lot and you're kind of late, but you hear this roar, this giant, you're like, what? That's the only thing I can liken it to. It's gonna be grander than that. Think of all the believers all throughout time and history who have, some of, us, some of them have even passed away. But even you and I together today, which I believe won't see death, that's just my personal belief. I believe the Lord's coming is very, very soon and we will all join him, but that's gonna be our voices. Those are our thunderings. And what are we saying? We're saying, Alleluia. For the Lord God omnipotent reigns. What's that word mean? It means unlimited power. That's the God you serve today. There are no limits with him to his power, but guess what? There's also no limits to his grace and to his forgiveness and to his righteousness, amen? So it's not just about the power, but that's what the word means, unlimited power. That's the God we serve. Let us, we continue, verse seven, let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in, the, in fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Those righteous acts of the saints were only possible because of the Lord and his righteousness. Verse nine, then he said to me, write, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. I don't know if what you say is, I mean, I hear you and you got some good points, I guess. And yeah, the Bible kind of, it, 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 yeah, it pretty much matches up with historical events and Wikipedia. But I, I don't know. I, I don't know if what you're saying is true. I just told you it was true. We just read it. It says right here, the sayings are true. What more do you want? This is God's word. God's saying, this is true, these sayings and these writings. What we're writing about, what John's writing about, what we're reading is going to happen, and it is true. Blessed are those who make it to the marriage supper of the Lamb. What's that? That's what you and I will get to go to. When Jesus comes back and raptures his church and takes us to heaven, we're at the marriage supper of the Lamb. This feast that we can only, through a glass darkly, try to halfway understand. Blessed, it says, are you. If you know him as your Savior today, that's going to be you and that's going to be me. We will be there. Verse 10, and I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, see that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worshiping God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. He's so blown away, John is, of what he is seeing and what he is witnessing. And this angel is there talking to him, speaking, hey, write this, write this, and he's explaining. And he sees in this vision what he's about to write, the, the marriage supper of the lamb, and all of these things. He's so enamored and blown away, but also, too, the amazing presence of this angel. It's all overwhelming to him, and he just falls down. He wants to worship. But a true 
angel will say, do not do that. Don't worship me. Don't worship me. Worship God. Worship the Lord. And a true angel will do that. They won't accept worship. Now, in the Old Testament, what you've seen is you'll hear or you'll read the angel of the Lord, and that's capitalized. And he has been worshiped, and he accepts that, rightly so, because he is deity. And that's how you know the difference. But just enamored by these great, amazing beings, I can't even fathom having seen an angel. If you read throughout history, if you read throughout, not history, but the Bible, which is history, but it's ordained, if you read God's word, all of these accounts, what happened when these people throughout the Bible saw these angels? They were so blown away that they, they couldn't even speak sometimes. They just fell down on their face. The natural instinct was, wow, you are so mighty and so awesome that I can't even believe I'm in your presence right now. Plop on my face. I don't want to move. Daniel was sick for three weeks after his encounter and his vision and being near an angel. That's how mighty they are. I'm driving this home because read Daniel chapter 10 on your own time. Write that down. There are some illustrations there of this angel that he is encountering, and he's so enamored, he's like clunk on his face. He couldn't move. He fainted in the presence. And that's just an angel. It's a very beautiful description. Speaking of beauty, this morning on the drive to church, I looked over at my wife and I wanted to express my thoughts on her beauty. And I said, your eyes are the eyes of a young goat. Your, your neck is the neck of a gazelle that prances through the golden prairies. Your, and she interrupts me and says, stop. <laughs> what, are you, what are you doing? I'm like, what? I, this is what Solomon did <laughs> to the beauties in his life. I mean, he, I, maybe not those descriptions, but they're similar. So, Solomon said, and he was the wisest man who ever lived. The looks I was getting, I didn't feel too wise. I thought, wow, stepped in it. You're, you're basically calling me a goat. <laughs> no, honey, no. You have the eyes of a goat. Okay, now, so verse 11. No, check this out. This is how awesome these are, these angels. And I'm going to bring this point home in just a moment. But, you know, and I'm guilty of this. I do it all the time. I shouldn't. But I mean, I just, I do. Um, we throw that word awesome around like it's just nothing. It's part of our vernacular. It's part of our language in modern day culture. Awesome. This cup of coffee is awesome. No, it's not. It's a good cup of coffee. Oh, these shoes. Ooh, they're awesome. No, they're not. They're comfortable. But we say awesome. You know who's awesome? God. Our Lord is awesome. And guess what? When, when these people in history and in the Bible saw these angels, they were like, awesome! If they could speak. They couldn't. 
They fell down. And they fell down in a, a position of worship because they were so enamored by what they were saying. And two things usually happen. One, don't worship me. Worship the Lord God. And two, I'm your fellow servant. Wait, what? Didn't one angel knock out like 180,000 Philistines or something? Something like that. Correct me later. I can't go knock out a one. Like, lawnmow without, ah, my back. Guys, but they're saying, no, I'm your fellow servant. This is going to make sense in a moment, hopefully. Verse 11, now I saw heaven opened up. Heaven opened up. The book of Revelation is the only book that talks about the doors of heaven being opened. Go back with me real fast. We're going to see about the first time. Go back, Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. And after these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, I will show you thing. It's, no, excuse me. Come up here. That's the best part. Come up here. And I will show you things which must take place after this. That's the rapture. Two places in the book of Revelation that the doors open to receive us when we're raptured, to receive the church. And then in this chapter, they open up because we get to come back with Jesus and Remember those angels we were talking about? The awesome fellow servants, the armies of heaven, we're coming back with them. And it says there in verse 11, back in our text, now I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. Really? God makes war? In some instances, yes. And there's good reason for it here. We get to come back with him, but we don't have to fight. We watch the Lord do it all. Watch this, verse 12. And his eyes were like a flame of fire. I love that description. Who can escape the gaze of our Lord? No one. He's going to look at you in that gaze with those eyes of fire, the flame and anything you and I did in our life that was done with a bad heart, and especially in ministry, all the garbage that we did, that's all going to get burned up, gone, destroyed, smoke, it's out of here. But the good things that we did with a pure heart, perhaps serving in children's ministry, even giving a child a cup of water, one of the biggest blessings mentioned in the Bible, that good intention, all the way up through, you name it. If it was done in a right spirit and good intentions with a pure heart to further the kingdom of the Lord, that's precious. That's gold, silver, precious stones. That remains. So when the Lord looks at us with those flaming eyes of fire, all of our garbage that we regret burn away. But what's left is precious. And on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no one knew except himself. 
keeps that to himself. That name there in the text would mean nature or his nature or characteristics. You know, there's characteristics about the Lord that we don't know. Well, you're like, well, duh. <laughs> but even the angels don't know, and they're with him. There's things that he reserves for his own knowledge, and that is it. And guess what? We're going to have a blast throughout all of eternity learning about each and every nuance. Oh, it's going to be boring in heaven. We're going to be sitting around on clouds and strumming harps and stuff. No, it's not. You know why? Because we're going to be blown away because every single moment, listen, if you're not a worship person and these songs, well, yeah, take it or leave it. If you're a Christian, you better get used to it because you are going to be singing worship on a constant basis in heaven because you're going to realize, oh, Lord, you deserve it. And that's what you're going to be doing. So get started now. And it doesn't say you got to sound good. The Bible says make a joyful noise. And that's where I fit in. That's why they don't let me up here except to talk. <sighs> Many crowns. A name that only he knows. Verse 13. And he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. His name was called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed with fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. The armies in heaven, guess what? That's you and me. We are in the army. We're part of that army now. We go, oh yeah, well the angels I understand, but me, yep. You're in the army of heaven. And God is the God of heaven's armies. We, let me tell you, when we wanna say the word awesome, that is awesome. Awesome. We can't comprehend it, but we accept it and we rejoice. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule with them, uh, rule them with an, a rod of iron. He himself treads the wine presses and the fierceness, the wrath of the Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written. What is that name? This one we can know. King of kings and Lord of lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather together for the supper of the great God. Verse 18, that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Why are they all gathered together? All of these armies, all of these nations have come together. Why? Well, a couple reasons. One, remember back in chapter 16, we were told that the beast, the dragon, and the false prophet, that evil trinity... They kind of burp up these frogs, Bleh. and these frogs come out of their mouth, but they're actually demons, and when they are set free, they go around to the rulers of the nations, and they whisper, hey, go to Armageddon, and they devise war plans in the leaders of these nations, and they all simultaneously begin moving, and as their forces and as their armies begin to move, they're on their way, they go, <laughs> Oh, we got this one in the bag. 
They think they're on their way to just a sure victory, these armies, led by the Antichrist to surround Jerusalem. But uh uh-oh, verse 20. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword, which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. And all the birds were filled with their flesh. That sword that proceeds from the Lord that he has in his mouth, it's believed that that would not be a literal sword, but one of which Hebrews, the author of Hebrews, would tell us um, in chapter uh, 4 that the word of God is spoken. It's his, it's his words. In other words, all the Lord has to do is he comes through that open door in heaven on a white horse, And on his robe says, King of kings and Lord of lords. And these massive, amazing, just awe-inspiring angels, part of the army, is with him. And we are too. And we're all on white horses coming down. And these armies on earth are like, oh, yeah, let's just go take this place. Let's get it over with. But what they don't realize is when they turn and see Jesus and they see the angels and they see us, the army of God, guess what? Jesus speaks a word, whatever that word is, and they're annihilated, annihilated with just a word. It's like this. Remember we've said that before? Like nothing. Like nothing. And it says there that the beast, which is the Antichrist, and the false prophet will be cast into a lake of burning sulfur. Ooh, we're missing someone, though. Who would that be? That's next chapter. Come out Thursday night and you'll find out who. Little plug there. Here's the point in closing. And I went over, but the Lord is in control. Amen? We read about two feasts in this chapter. Blessed are those who are at the marriage supper of the Lamb, we read. When is that? That's at the rapture. That time when 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 tells us that the dead in Christ will rise then after them, that we'll hear the trumpet and we go up to Jesus, we meet him in the clouds. That's not the second coming. What we just read was the second coming. We're partakers of both if you're a Christian here today. Jesus comes back in the clouds and we hear that trumpet. We have ears tuned to hear it as a Christian and we rise up. These things are true. Why? Because the Bible tells us they are. It's God's word. And we are anticipating that any second. Do you realize that? We've said this before. Not one more biblical prophecy has to come true before. Well, as soon as the temple. No, none of that. He could come back right now. Or now. Or now. And we've talked about this. We're a billionth of a second away from perfection. These things that you're enduring, blessed are those who endure and, and fight till the end. What is that? Well, you're a billionth of a second away from not having to worry about that anymore because we'll be changed like that. Blessed are those who make it to the marriage supper of the Lamb. 
But there's another feast. And which one was that? Oh, yes, the angel standing in the sun. Come, birds, <laughs> vultures, crows, and eat the flesh of mankind. That in their rebellion and in their, their ways, their sinful ways, chose to reject the work that Jesus did on the cross. After such long-suffering and grace extended to even the tribulation people, many, many people will come to know the Lord then. But these are people that still, after all the stuff we read about, the pestilence, the sores, the blood, the gore, in chapter 6 through 19, they still, what they do, shake their fist at God. And it says, their flesh will be eaten. And the horses they ride on, everything gets destroyed. And there's two feasts. The Bible says, blessed are they who make it to the marriage supper of the Lamb. So it's either eat or be eaten. It really is surely that simple, right? The gospel is simple. It has to be because guys like me have to understand it. It's a simple message. And my closing thought is this. If you are one who hasn't really come to grips with this God thing or this Jesus thing and you kind of heard it, and I don't know if it's true. It sounds good, and it's, you're kind of convincing, but I don't know. Listen to me. The Bible says today is the day of salvation, today. You do not want to stick around for this tribulation period that we've been talking about. That is not a place for you. My heart would be today to tell you, get right with Jesus, understand you're a sinner, understand that Jesus is that Savior that you need and stop feeding the flesh, start feeding the spirit, understand what Jesus did on the cross, that could be done by no one except him, and he chose to do it, he willingly did it for you. You have to get that settled in your heart today. And that is my heart, and I believe that's the Lord speaking right now. Don't put it off. Today is a day of salvation. Don't miss it. Blessed are they who make it to the first feast. We don't want to be at the second.